Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Metanoia Madness. I'm your host, Nicholas, music creator, entrepreneur turned podcaster, lover of all things spiritual, mystical, and unknown. Before we jump in, I want to say please, please follow the Facebook page, Metanoia Madness, or follow on IG, Metanoia.Madness. I know we're jumping into some deep stuff, some deep concepts, and new understanding. So if you have questions, comments, or concerns, that's the best place to get a hold of me. All right, let's get into it. This is episode two, Who Am I? Who Are You? Path to Self-Discovery and Self-Awareness. If you were here for episode one, then you already understand the significance of this question. But if you, on the other hand, live your life a little bit differently than the rest of us, and you're jumping straight into episode two, I'll catch you up quickly. In the last episode, we came to the conclusion and ultimately the understanding that the most amazing and introspective question that we can ask is, who am I? And that's exactly the question that we're going to be diving into in this episode. All right, let's get to it. Who am I? Who are you? The first thought that comes to mind is my name. In school, the first thing we learn to spell is our name. But my identity, your identity, the completeness that you and I are can't truly be summed up into a name, which is summed up to a word, which is summed up to a sound used to describe someone or something. So our name is what we're called. That's how we're recognized in the world. But when you were a baby and I was a baby, before we knew what a name was, before we knew what other people would call us, you were still there and I was still there. And maybe we can't fully remember all the way back to then, but surely we know we were alive and consciously observing because we were constantly growing and evolving into little kids that grew into young adults and then into fully grown adults. Grown adults that go and figure out or maybe not figure out what it means to be alive and to fully embody the human experience. Which basically means before we had our names, we still had our existence. So we can't be our names because they came after we came to exist in this world. So if who I am and who you are is not our names, then who are we? The next realistic theory would be the voice in our heads, right? The one we hear when we're reading, the same voice that gives us the internal dialogue that narrates everything we touch, see, feel, taste, and hear. It's the internal voice that tells us what we do and don't like. The voice that has an opinion about everything, everyone, and every situation. So of course that's who we are. We just answered the most amazing and introspective question that you can ask yourself. This episode is over. Thanks for listening. But what about when it's saying things we don't like or agree with? For example, have you ever been in a car driving and all of a sudden the same dialogue tells you to take your car off or jump? Or maybe it wants to see what it would be like to play bumper cars on the highway going 60 miles per hour. Or maybe you're consciously trying to meditate or fall asleep and your internal dialogue just keeps rambling about anything and everything. I wonder what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. Does meditation even work? I shouldn't have said what I said earlier. I should call them and say sorry. No, I can't call them. It's way too late. We've all been here at some point in our lives, caught up in the endless rambling dialogue about honestly a lot of nothing. Some of us have even experienced what it's like to get so deep into the drama that this internal voice can conjure up, that our hearts begin racing, beads of sweat drip down our forehead, and we're pushed deeper and deeper into the fear and worry that this internal voice can evoke. 
How will I do this? If I fail, I'll never recover. You're worthless. You're ugly. You can't do this. I mean, honestly, the list is endless. Even as I'm saying these words, I can hear the internal dialogue saying even more examples. But still, this can't be who we are. Who we are can't be an internal voice that's rambling about anything and everything. A voice that at times seems to have a mind of its own, sometimes suggesting topics we don't align with. Who we are can't be summed up into a name because a name isn't enough to describe who we are. And so again, we're back to square one. Who am I? Who are you? So far, we've discovered who we're not. But interestingly enough, we've also begun to uncover who we are. You see, by realizing who we're not, we draw closer to who we are. We're forced to let go of identities we've created. Some willingly, but others were taught or maybe just expected from us. So we believe those identities are who we are when in fact the opposite is true. By me realizing I am not Nicholas, but instead my name is Nicholas. And that the thoughts that I hear in my head aren't me, but instead I am the conscious being that knows what its name is. And I am the conscious being that witnesses my thoughts. A new perspective emerges. The identity of who I am and who you are becomes separate from the name. And the identity becomes separate from the mind. What is this new place that our consciousness is perceiving existence from? I don't feel so attached to my name anymore, and I'm not so attached to the internal dialogue that used to feel like it was me. Is this what it feels like to finally be in our bodies? To be so withdrawn and detached from the mind's drama that we can finally know what it feels like to be alive? We've finally been able to peel back layers of our identity, including our names, that we can finally see who we are is our bodies? Have we dove so deep into ourselves that we've been able to connect with our bodies? Hmm, maybe. But there's something interesting about the way we even describe our bodies. You see, we don't look at our hands and our feet and say, that is me. We don't describe our brain as being ourselves. We use verbiage like, look how big my feet are, or your hands are small. And even deeper than that, Remember when we talked about the internal dialogue and how it has the tendency to say things we don't like or agree with? Try to think back to a moment when you experienced this. How did you describe the situation? Did you say that I'm going crazy? I can't stop talking in my head? Or did you say something like my mind is racing or I can't quiet my mind? You see, we naturally describe our body and our minds as things we experience or use, but we hardly place our identity on them. Of course, there's occasions when we're so close to the mind's drama or we hurt our body that we in the moment can feel as though it's us. But as time moves on and we move on to the next phase of our lives, they quickly become things we've experienced. Like the time maybe you broke your arm. You, the being that experienced what it was like to have a broken arm, didn't break. You felt the pain, yes, but you weren't broken. You just had a broken arm. So another theory debunked, but another layer pulled back. We've now successfully created separation of self from the name, the body, and the mind. And we've identified a new perspective. One that understands and accepts that you are not the body, you are the one that knows what it feels like to experience having a body. A perspective that knows your name isn't who you are, it is what you are called. When you're sitting in this perspective, you can see that you are not your thoughts, you are the one that witnesses your thoughts. This perspective is commonly known as the seat of consciousness or the seat of the soul. And this is where you sit if you really want to see who you are. 
I'm sorry if you were listening and hoping that I would be able to tell you who you are, but the truth is, even if I could, my perspective of who you are wouldn't be enough to describe the completeness of who you are. Because only you know what it's like to be you. Only you know the pain and pleasure you feel in your body. Only you know what it sounds like to have your loved ones call your name. Only you know the thoughts that are in your mind. What I can do and what my hope was in writing and creating this experience is to help you see the steps you can take to get to know who you are. I wanted to guide you through the layers and the identities that we've all been attached to and help you find the seat of consciousness or the seat of your soul and the power that comes when we know our authentic selves. There is, however, another power at play when it comes to who we identify as and a lot of the times who we become, and that is our hearts, the ruler of our emotions and a huge part of who we think we are. Just like we have the attachment to our minds and we get drawn into the internal dialogue and the drama, we do the same thing with our emotions. Almost always influenced by the mind's drama, we can find ourselves in some very uncomfortable situations when we allow ourselves to identify with what we are feeling. I'll break this down a little better. So we've established that the mind can be sporadic, internal dialogue that for most of our day isn't saying anything. Add the fact that these same random thoughts have direct influence on our emotions is the direct reason we can overthink ourselves into believing that the worst outcome in every scenario in our lives is real and is happening. Our mind will come up with a worrisome idea, and that worrisome idea turns into a worrisome feeling, which makes our heart beat faster and puts us in a fight-or-flight mode. And I don't have to go into details about how this is not a good mode for us to be in when we're in no danger of being hurt physically, mentally, or emotionally. Luckily, we become aware of the seat of our consciousness, and we know that we are not our emotions. We are the one experiencing the emotions. And with full separation of self from name, the body, the mind, and now the emotions, we are in a perfect position to begin to watch our thoughts and watch our emotions from the seat of consciousness. This is where we become aware of what's going on inside. We become aware of the thought patterns that are either keeping us from achieving everything we want and desire or propelling us towards them. We become aware of wounds that keep us chained to past versions of ourselves that we are meant to shed. Wounds that actually take physical form in our hearts and brains that become like roads that we drive day in and day out without any thought of repairs or remapping or flat out demolition. That is until we become aware of the need for such actions. So when your mind says, I can't do this, you say from the seat of consciousness, why not? And then you watch the mind's response. And when you find the root of this belief, you decide if that's still something that aligns with who you are at that present moment. You begin to do this with more and more of your thoughts that don't feel like you. And additionally, you begin to do the same thing with your heart and the emotional beliefs that have been stored in there. And just like we've done over and over in this episode, the more you disprove or prove a theory, the closer and closer you get to the truth. The same is true for the journey of finding oneself and ultimately the power of the authentic self, which is actually the topic for episode three, which is also available to go listen to right now. Thanks for listening. This has been Metanoia Madness. I'm your host, Nicholas, and you just listened to episode two. Who am I? Who are you? If you're interested in knowing the power of the authentic self, you'll definitely love episode three. Until next time, this is Nicholas signing off.